0: we've been dating for a few months and i remember specifically we had like just gotten back from a trip to disneyland we'd gone on a date to disneyland together he had treated he'd offered like i'll i'll buy disneyland tickets yeah you know it was pricey and so it's like cool awesome and then i think later that week we ended up finally having a little bit of like a relationship definition talk you know a little bit of a like where is this going is this going to be exclusive is it going to be monogamous and i had spent some time thinking about it and i to him very honestly like yeah I just no. you know I don't think that monogamy is a thing that I can offer right now I'm still really interested in looking at non-monogamy and he specifically said to me like if I'd known that I wouldn't have bought Disneyland tickets yeah and- yikes yeah Oh, yikes, yikes, yikes. You want to know the even more yikes part?
1: Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe
2: in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
0: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
1: Fun. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about transactional relationships. There are some people and some relationships out there where people will only perform acts of kindness for one another if they know they're going to get something in return. Or maybe there's a more formalized transactional part of the relationship. And sometimes this type of interaction can result in unfortunate push-pull relationships and unhealthy power dynamics. So this week, we wondered, why do people get into transactional relationships? Are those in traditional relationships more or less likely to have this dynamic than those in non-traditional ones? Are transactional relationships always a negative thing? We're going to discuss all this and more in today's episode.
0: I have the image of a bank teller that's like burned in my mind, connected to the phrase transactional. transactional. A transactional relationship, Interesting.
1: yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. A lot of transactional relationships are just, like, really quick, really really brief relationships because we all have relationships with everyone that we come into contact with, even if it's just for a moment, and many of those are transactional in nature, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. When we are speaking about romantic relationships that can be kind of a different thing entirely. And as usual, just a caveat for some of these definitions that we found on what is a transactional relationship, the ones that we came across regarding transactional romantic relationships, they tend to limit the definition of transactional relationships to marriage and specifically heteronormative monogamous marriages. But we did find something on marriage.com from blogger Sylvia Smith, And she said, a transactional romantic relationship is when someone keeps tabs of what they give and receive from their spouse... It is a behavior, meaning it is deeply rooted in a person's subconscious and personality. It's not entirely negative, which is why it escapes the notice of holier-than-thou new-age psychiatrists, which I <laughs> okay, found Sylvia. kind of wow. funny. <laughs> all right, Sylvia,
0: <laughs> tell us your real thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> calm down, Sylvia. She's,
1: she's got some beef with these new-age psychiatrists. Yeah, here. indeed. Okay, all right.
0: We found some other definitions. Some people tie transactional relationships to be about relationships in general. So I'm quoting here from Payam Banazada, writing on medium.com, quote, transactional relationships are by nature optimized around getting the most you possibly can in exchange for as little as possible on your part. They're all about you and what you can get and not about what you can give. So this seems to be casting a pretty negative light on it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then other definitions were about more of those kind of day to day, short lived relationships, kinda of like Emily was mentioning before. This is from Benjamin P. Hardy on theLadders dot com. Transactional relationships are economic and functional. They're based on exchange of money, goods, or services. They serve a very clear point, and when that point no longer makes sense or has been fulfilled, the relationship ends.
2: That's very interesting to me because I think that that also can apply to longer-term romantic relationships or even like we've, we've talked about business partnerships on our last episode, stuff like that. If something no longer serves this function, then that relationship will end. So again, I don't think this necessarily has to be a negative thing, especially if both parties involved... Understand that that's like the type of relationship that they're getting into. So, we want to explore that in terms of asking ourselves the question why do people get into transactional relationships? So, we found on study.com there's a big like psych class essentially on transactional relationships in psychology. And from that class, they talked about transactional relationships, that they are built on the expectation for reciprocation. Both individuals are concerned with how they will benefit. Individuals are self-serving, making sure they get as much as they can from the relationship for a set amount of work in return. So that is kind of specifically about the work aspect potentially. And so kind of using this logic from what this study.com space says People are getting into transactional relationships in order to gain something in exchange for a service.
0: So, yeah, it seems like the easiest example of that, of these very transactional relationships that are defined and end after a particular exchange, such as your transactional relationship with the store clerk or the server at the restaurant or the lawyer that you hire or a relationship with your boss at work to a certain extent, is a transactional relationship as well. So, these are relationships that were not necessarily proactively. Choosing, but that is kind of the nature of what happens when we end up in them.
2: Yeah. And our very first definition that we talked about from marriage.com kind of stated that there was this argument for transactional behavior to be like deeply rooted in our subconscious and in a person's particular personality. So I think that that can be extrapolated out to a variety of things, sort of just how we move and function in society as a whole. And it made me think about things like traditional patriarchal values, for example, or traditional gender roles where, you know, a guy will traditionally make the most money in a house and then come home and be expectant of his, you know, woman partner to do things like household labor and child rearing and stuff like that. So a lot of relationships out there do function under these assumptions and they are, you know perfectly happy and fine to do those things and that is totally okay if that's sort of how they like operating and sometimes that's clear and defined for for certain people.
1: Yeah, and it's it's something that we'll probably continue to discuss throughout this episode, but just the question of how you think about a relationship and how you describe a relationship can also change the way you feel about it and the way you approach it or change the way that the other person involved in this relationship feels about it or the way that they approach it. And an example of that is when we talk about balancing things like household chores or something like that. And you know, we've talked about that on past episodes. But there's often this sense of like, okay, try to find a way that makes that balanced and not just like a ledger sheet, but that it actually feels balanced for each of you. One could approach that from thinking of it as, okay, yeah, this is transactional. We're just getting at the root of like, what's the best way to evaluate that transaction? And a good relationship is one where that transaction is nicely balanced and feels good for everyone involved. Whereas other people could look at that way of thinking about it, and that's kind of like, e, no, it shouldn't be about like, I'm doing this to get this thing, but more that we're finding a balance of how do we best give to each other. And it is this interesting thing of, I could see people making an argument about a lot of different things of saying it is transactional or not, kind of depending how they're thinking about it and talking about it.
0: Yeah. This brought up a question for me around how does this connect to our very human mm. sense of justice and fairness mm. in relationship? Yeah. Because something like fairness, it's something that's pretty universal. I mean, they have found in research that even monkeys have a sense of fairness
1: when interacting
0: with other monkeys. And so this is something that's very, very deeply ingrained in us. And I wonder how that intersects with the idea of a transaction. You know, we can define a transaction as like you give something and you get something in exchange. Mm
1: -hmm. And does
0: that always equal fairness? You know, trying to find fairness in the way that we distribute household labor, does that automatically equal it becomes a transaction? And I think those are some really, really interesting questions to look at here.
1: Yeah, And just real quick to acknowledge that we talked about this push-pull relationship thing and that we did do an episode about this before that might be interesting to you, which is episode 228 on pursuit and withdrawal. It's a little bit of a different kind of a push-pull than this, but I could see there being a lot of overlap there. So if you're finding that you are having that kind of dynamic in your relationship and want to look into that more, that could be a good episode to do that.
2: Yeah, I I was surprised, actually. I was trying to find, like, a specific episode that we had done on power dynamics. Have we done one? I I couldn't find it specifically, so... It
0: seems like something that we've touched on in a lot of episodes, but I don't think we've dedicated an actual one to it. Yeah,
2: so something for us to potentially do in the future. But, yeah, just thinking about this idea in general, I know personally I tend to get a little eked out by that idea of transactional relationships, but I'm curious for the two of you because I, I know that some people are super chill with this dynamic and and may have like certain types of relationships where this operates and that's completely fine with them and they find it to be, you know, no problem at all. So I guess I'm wondering for the two of you, do you think you've ever been in a transactional relationship with a romantic partner? And does this like sort of transaction mentality show up in certain ways in your relationships? And also, do you ever or do you regularly do nice things for your partners because you expect something in return?
0: This seems like it could be a real Pandora's box of not necessarily bad things, but just a lot of different offshoots, like the comparison to fairness or equality, like I was talking about. I think this could also offshoot into what is altruism in a relationship does it actually exist are we actually ever altruistic or is it always because we do understand that like it's connected to a partner wanting to stay with us if we do these altruistic nice things I don't know I Mm. I think it could be a real brain bender if we wanted to go there
1: Uh, sure I mean on that subject you know there's schools of philosophy that essentially make the argument that no one ever does anything for anyone besides themselves, even if that means I'm doing it for myself because it feels good to do something for someone else. It's like, well, I still did it because I feel good about it or I feel, you know, like you could, it is that sort of one of those philosophical discussions that you could have for hours and hours and never get anywhere. So I do feel like we're going to need to uh, try to, I guess, like acknowledge that, but not get caught in the weeds of those sorts of things where we're just not going to get anywhere with it.
0: I don't feel like I have real lived experience being in a relationship that I would categorically say was transactional. But I do think that I've experienced moments or relationships that have felt like they've been approaching that. Often it is connected to income being brought in versus household labor. I think that is the classic one, you know, where I have it in relationships where often it is just assumed if you're the one making more money, if my partner's making more money or bringing in more money, or maybe they're the only one with the job or whatever, it's kind of assumed the way that that counterbalances is if the other person picks up all the slack at home. And yeah. again, I think it's the kind of thing where maybe if you're intentionally talking about that and that feels good for everybody involved, then that's great. But I do think that that often that is a little bit too much of a default than I'm comfortable with. Seeing happen so frequently in relationships. So, I guess that's the closest I think that I've gotten to feeling like there was maybe a slightly weird feeling transaction happening in the relationship.
1: Yeah, I I also have not had any relationships that I would describe as transactional being the defining trait of them. But I do think that a transactional way of looking at things has certainly come up in a lot of relationships in specific conversations, kind of more of these ongoing Mm. things about like household chores for example i guess or who has more availability or time or resources of other kinds or certain talents or when your romantic relationship when parts of that start to bleed into i guess sort of professional concerns right it's like okay maybe you work in IT and then are helping like tech support a partner so like you know there's there's a lot of times where we're dealing with things that <laughs> certainly
2: you've done that a lot We're doing for things me. that
1: would that, Thanks. that are kind of <laughs> normally part of a more transactional model of doing business but they're in our romantic relationships and so i've certainly had some of those discussions that did end up more transactional like in our discussion about a specific thing or a specific area but i wouldn't say that it generally was defining of kind of the whole relationship or or all parts of it
0: Well, connected to that, Jace and I both have a mutual friend right now who we've both been, I think, helping out, like Uh offering quote unquote a lot of like services to Mm. just because, just because of the quality of friendship. I'm helping him with like language lessons and Jace is helping him with uh, various other things. And he keeps acknowledging like oh my god the two of you are helping me out so much i really want to be able to repay you and jason and i are both just kind of like, oh whatever you know we'll figure it out it's fine it's not a big deal but then we joke like <laughs> oh we're racking up all these airline points with this friend and just <laughs> one day we're just gonna cash in just throw mm. down all the chips on the table and there ask him go. to like oh, i don't know yeah. Yeah, off somebody exactly. like the godfather <laughs> <Okay>. wow wow <laughs> Or literally buy you an airline ticket to go somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that would be so weird. Be like, so we've calculated the number of hours that we've collectively spent offering certain goods and services, and we've determined that it comes out to the equivalent (laughs) of one business class ticket to X, Y, and Z destination. So, pay up, please. Wow, that'd be very transactional.
2: Yeah, very. Yeah, I guess just I'll, I'll quickly say that I've entered into a transactional relationship really with someone that I worked with. I. Worked for who? Basically, I would do menial, easy tasks and just kind of like ride around with him. It was very LA and like kind of be his assistant at times, but also, you know, arms, ride- arm, boat.
0: arm candy. Yeah, and- like
2: go out to dinner with him and ride on his boat because you know, and just be like a a person that he was around, and he would pay me. And that was probably the most transactional relationship I've ever been in. And he he called it a friendship, but I right. did not feel like I was his friend. I felt and like that, he was paying
0: me to hang out with him, really. I, I don't know if that could be formally qualified as like a sugar daddy relationship or well, not. Well, I didn't sleep with him, but yes, Well, <laughs> well sugar daddy relationships aren't always sexual in mm, nature that's necessarily. True. So that's true. I guess some people might define it that way, but that wasn't something the two of you necessarily intentionally Chose we didn't to speak about it in that way. Yeah, and I think that we'll, we'll probably get yeah. into this a little yeah.
1: bit more later, too. But just that distinction of if sex is or isn't involved, does that even make any difference? I feel like we, we've we very much yeah, been taught societally point. that there's some kind of a qualitative difference between those transactions. And that's an interesting question of why do we feel that way? You know, why why is that? And is there anything actually to it? I would tend to argue that there's not. Uh, really a difference Absolutely. there, except for all of the baggage that we're sort of taught to carry along with that. And perhaps the, uh, you know, discrimination or something that we might receive in return for that because of that societal belief. But, but I think we'll get into this a little bit more with some of the studies we look at later.
0: Yeah. So speaking of, there's this big question of, are some people more predisposed to enter into a transactional relationship More so than others. Or is it just something that we're all a part of at some point? And of course, like we said, you know, when you look at the research studies, there's this recurring answer that comes up again and again that really normalizes transactional relationships on an everyday level, right? It's this idea that the way that our society is structured right now, there's really no way to engage in it without participating in some kind of transactional relationship, which maybe that feels good because things are really clear. It's very clear. Yeah, I hire the babysitter and I know exactly what I'm giving and exactly what I'm getting. Or I go and buy groceries. I know exactly what I'm giving. And I know exactly what I'm getting. Or maybe that's uncomfortable to think about how the way our society is structured has really, really encouraged mm. us to Goodness. be very transaction-minded.
1: Yeah. Right? I mean, it it also comes to this thing of when you're talking about fairness being built into us does a society built around looking at everything as a transaction make things feel more fair or does it make us more inclined to think things are not fair at different times because we're always trying to look at it from this lens of is the amount I'm giving worth what I'm getting in return and if maybe we had a society that didn't put so much emphasis on that maybe we wouldn't also have as much kind of baggage or difficulty about feeling like, oh, well, I can't give too much because I don't want to be taken advantage of, or, oh, I don't want to give too much because that wouldn't be fair or something like that. Mm. And so we weren't able to find any specific research on transactional romantic relationships and the likelihood of people to enter into them. You know, we kind of had this thought of, it'd be interesting to know if people in traditional heteronormative relationships and monogamous relationships are more or less likely to be in more transactional models of relationship, So not, not an explicitly transactional one, but one that kind of is based around that or not. And I mean, mostly because studies just don't even acknowledge that anything but that Understandably exists. So it's kind of hard so, yeah. to find comparative research on that.
2: Yeah. And like that one blogger said, It's not necessarily negative. So a lot of the new age therapists aren't (laughs) even looking at it like that. It's holier than thou therapist. It's holier than thou therapist. Exactly. Sylvia. So we're going to get more into like a non-monogamy specific section of this episode. But there was something on polyskeptic.com that discussed how romantic relationships often start off as kind of transactional in nature. Like, you want to get to know a person, you're going on dates and, like, seeing if you like this person or not, and it's not, like, super altruistic at the beginning. It may evolve into that, and it may really evolve into, like, I want to give to this person, I really care about their well-being, but initially, often it's just kind of like a fun, like, give or take, I'm, I'm going to hang out with you, or we're going to hook up or something along those lines, so... That's something to think about too when you first start off in a relationship or multiple relationships. Often they're kind of transactional in nature in that
0: way. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I just had a terrible memory and get triggered just oh. now talking uh, about this stuff. Okay. This may be, uh, yeah. God. Yes. Years and years and years ago when I was still in a little bit of my polyamory exploration phase where I wasn't quite sure. I had some doubts of like, is this me? Is it not me? Have I just not found the right person yet or not? You know, I was a little bit wishy-washy. I was dating a guy. Oh gosh, I was dating a guy. And we were we were in still that, the early phases of the relationship. You know, I, I had been open with him about how I'm interested in non-monogamy. I don't know if I can offer monogamy right now, but I'm still kind of figuring it out. Like that was okay. And we've been dating for a few months. And I remember specifically... We had like just gotten back from a trip to Disneyland. We'd gone on a date to Disneyland together. He had treated, he'd offered like, I'll I'll buy Disneyland tickets. Yeah, you know, it was pricey. And so it's like, cool, awesome. And then I think later that week, we ended up finally having a little bit of like a relationship definition talk, you know, a little bit of a like, where is this going? Is this going to be exclusive? Is it going to be monogamous? And I had spent some time thinking about it. And I expressed to him very honestly, like, yeah, I just, you know, I don't... Think that monogamy is a thing that I can offer right now. I'm still really interested in looking at non-monogamy. And he specifically said to me, like, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have yeah. bought Disneyland tickets. And yikes. <laughs> oh, yikes, yikes, yikes. You wanna know the even more yikes part is I stated I dated that person for another year. Years? But- Yes. But okay, it was years later. I mean, like 10 years later that I woke up in the middle of the night (laughs) at 3am and was like, that was fucked up. It took me a long time. (laughs) That was not okay. Wow. But clearly based on that anecdotal evidence, it leads me to think like, clearly, I don't think it was just this guy who had that thought, right? That me extending myself financially, I expect there's going to be monogamy or sexual monogamy or something attached to that
1: yeah no it's definitely not so. I, it's not
0: yeah. just him right sure. I, no. I think he's a product of the culture so mm-hmm. maybe just based on that story i could go out on a limb and say like maybe more traditionally focused people are more likely to expect something transactional but i don't want to paint anybody with a broad brush right? <laughs> but thanks thanks Jeez. for triggering that awful uh, memory you're welcome
1: <laughs> so I, I do i want to go back to this this article that you're talking about i actually just need to throw out there. I think it's bullshit. I actually think that I, I don't agree with this person's conclusions. And I think it's one of those things that mm-hmm. when presented in a certain way, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. So logical and rational. Okay, I don't feel certain. like their presentation of any of this really was backed up or made any sense. Like Based on their logic, it's like, well, everything's kind of like that all the time or or that any stranger doing anything nice is not legit. I, I don't know. I just... I just don't want us to give too much credit to this article, (laughs) I guess is what I'm getting at here.
2: Well, we do talk about it a little later, but it's more from the negative standpoint, I guess. So we'll continue on. But yeah, just one other thing I wanted to bring up, and we don't discuss this a lot on the show, but certain kink dynamics definitely could also be sort of transactional in nature, like dumb sub-relationships, role-playing, things like that. We don't talk about it a lot, but I just wanted to throw it out there. That can be a type of relationship that people get into where it's transactional and that's, you know, consenting adults and that's totally fine. Go nuts.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting example of a place also where a very explicitly transactional part might show up in a relationship just within that area, or it could be kind of all encompassing for that relationship. But again, that gets into that Mm -hmm. thing that we haven't talked about very much yet, which is kind of a more explicitly defined transaction, as opposed to more approaching a relationship that you're kind of acting like is not transactional in a transactional way.
2: All right. So now we're going to get into a little bit of research on this. So we're going to talk about something called the systemic transactional model of coping. And this is not directly related to the topic of transactional relationships, but it does kind of look at this experience of stress as the result of an individual's environment. And so the study looks at specifically the model of coping in the context of dyadic romantic relationships. So talking about, yeah, individuals, stressors in their environment, essentially.
0: And essentially how we make an exchange of caring for that between two people, which maybe we could argue is a little bit of a transaction. So the systemic transactional model of coping or STM for short is based upon the assumptions that there is this interdependence between two partners, stress and also coping processes. And it postulates that one partner's daily stress experiences and their behavior under stress and well being have a strong and also frequent impact upon their partner's experience as well. And this works in a mutual way. So I think to sum this up in layperson's terms, it's that, you know, the stress that I feel and come home with and the way that that influences my behavior, it also influences my partner's stress as well. And my partner coping with that or helping me cope with that is a little bit of of an exchange.
1: Yeah, and to quote from the study talking about this STM model says, therefore, in the context of stress, one partner's experience of adversity is not limited to themselves, but affects the experience and well-being of the romantic partner as well. This statement is a cornerstone of modern dyadic coping concepts, the assertion that one partner's stress and coping experiences are not independent of their partners, which represents a relational and interdependent process." And it's also interesting thinking about that in terms of multiple relationships and how all of those then might have this kind of spillover and effect into each other, which is a whole other interesting thing that they didn't study, but, but yeah, absolutely. Ooh,
2: that's happened. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've heard in the sphere of like polyamory community people talking about essentially this daisy chain of emotional labor where there can be stress and relationship falling out in one relationship which gets one partner stressed out and then they take that to their other relationship Mm -hmm. and it's like this trickle down effect. But then the thing is that I've seen that trickle down effect happen with the stress, but I've not necessarily seen Mm -hmm. like a trickle up happen as far as coping with it or the that's emotional labor of point. supporting it that sometimes that's where I tend to see the blocks in the system. And that's where I guess, to me, it seems that the most interesting to think about transactions is thinking about stuff like who is expected to provide emotional support more consistently than other people who has no choice but to provide emotional support more consistently because their partner has a bunch of relationship drama happening all the time that that can start to bring up, again, some interesting and also uncomfortable questions regarding, you know, kind of the transaction and the fairness.
2: Yeah, so a lot of this research around the STM model of coping, it's looking at things like chronic and terminal illness, which is something that we don't discuss a lot on this show, but I think it should be brought up in terms of this whole idea of relationships being, you know, Fairly transactional sometimes, or needing to cope with someone having an illness for a long period of time or something along those lines. So, we can also look at this model a bit more generally as well. Just like if somebody comes home from a really high stress job, for example, and they're super upset, even though their partner didn't directly experience that stress, they're now in this position of coping with that stress because of that spillover that Dedeker was just talking about.
0: Yeah. And I see this come up all the time in the couples that I work with, or even individuals where I'll have individuals expressing to me, yeah, my partner is so stressed at work. And like, what do I do about it? And that's interesting. It, It becomes like a what do I do about it? Because the fact that clearly, like, there's really no way for us to completely insulate our partners from that. It's like they have to either run away from that stress, or they have to step up to the plate to try to offer the emotional support. And that is really interesting. And of course, you know, just emotional support as well tends to fall into this category of invisible labor. It's widely undervalued. Often there's assumptions about who's going to be providing it in a lot of traditional heterosexual relationships. Usually it's assumed women are going to be the ones providing it. I would hope that as things like therapy start to get a little bit more normalized, I'm hoping for two things. A, that more people get into therapy who need it. Specifically, more men feel comfortable getting into therapy. Who need it and also be that we start to have more of an understanding of hey sometimes certain amounts of emotional support or coaching is fortunately unfortunately tied to a dollar amount and that makes it more uh-huh. real to us as a sense of oh this is labor oh this is something that i can be more aware of, of my partner contributing or maybe i can be aware of ooh, i expect my partner to contribute to this at all times 24 7 without much in return So I'm hoping that maybe that will be something that will help this become a little bit more of a real topic within relationships in the future.
1: We're going to go on to talk about a little bit more research as well as some non-monogamy specific concerns and some things that you can look at in your own relationships if they feel transactional and you would like them to be less so. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors for this show and As all good transactions go, if this show is something that you're enjoying, that you're getting a lot out of, we love putting it out there to all of you for free. But if it's something that you're able to support and you're interested in it, then check out our sponsors and we'll be back after that.
0: to get you not just the 50% discount but also the 100% free shipping code MULTI.
1: And we're back. So when we started doing this topic about transactional relationships, I imagine for a lot of people some sort of a sex work or, you know, sugar sugar relationship, <laughs> I don't know what the term is for that. Right. What's the gender neutral sugar you mean like baby? The gender I Gender neutral term. Sugar baby, or? I think is what it is. A sugar, sugar
2: person.
0: person. You sugar
1: person? Uh, a sugar person. A sugar being. I don't know. Anyway, I think that that's what comes to mind for a lot of people. and <laughs> And that's not really what this episode is about. This is more about a relationship that's not intending to be explicitly transactional and yet has those elements in it for good or bad and kind of navigating that. But I do think it is worth. Acknowledging this and talking about it a little bit. And so, for that, there's this uh, research paper by Ernst Roman, Sirvith, Kohler, Amelung, and Betzler. I butchered those. Study in Germany. And from Germany. they were <laughs> doing the study within the paradigm of free choice. And essentially, they did these surveys of students, some of whom were doing sex work, either prostitution or sugar relationships, and people who were not and looked at their overall well-being, how they're treated by their peers, what their support networks were, things like that. And essentially, the takeaway was that overall, they found no difference between the students who were participating in sex work and those who were not in terms of their overall happiness, with the exception of the fact that the people doing sex work faced more prejudices and stigma and things like that, as well as more difficulty seeking and receiving emotional support in their social environment because of that. But that that was the product of the prejudice against them, not the actual work itself or how that affected them. But again, these are explicitly transactional relationships, much like a job, and Dedeker, during the break, we were talking about this and she made the point of mm-hmm. it's like saying, oh, well, you know, lawyers participate in transactional relationships and it turns out they're just as happy as, you know, charity workers who who don't do that. You know, something it's like, well, yeah, it's a job, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's work, It's it's a different thing. And so I just did want to acknowledge that though, since I'm sure that's a, a question on a lot of people's minds. Absolutely.
0: We're going to spend a little bit of time here talking about the ways that transactional relationships, or maybe I want to call it like transactionalism to refer to maybe just like the trait or the tendency towards being transactional.
1: Or what Mm. if you made a religion all about it called transactionism? Mm. That'd be cool.
0: Transactionism. That's good. It has to be
2: an ism to be a religion or or a philosophy,
0: perhaps. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, (laughs) transactionism. I have certainly observed that transactionism slash transactional thinking can show up in non-monogamous relationships. So we can start just from the base assumption of if I let my partner date other people in return, I am also allowed to date other people. And of course, that speaks to that weird I guess, fuzzy line between, okay, does that count as a transaction or is that just equal opportunity an or yeah. an agreement or trying to build a relationship based on fairness? So I don't think that in itself is much of a problem. Where the issue tends to arise is when we start getting caught up on things like, okay, who is going on more dates? Who has more partners? Who's getting more matches on dating apps? Who has spent more? money let's keep a running tally of exactly how many hours spent or how many weekends spent and there can be this really obsession of looking at these really concrete tangible things to try to calculate whether or not things are fair and i often encourage people i think it's so hard right because i do want people to care about whether or not their relationships are fair Right. Um, I do want people to care about whether or not they feel like they're getting an equal shake in a non monogamous relationship or getting access to equal opportunity. And at the same time, I find myself constantly having to remind people that even if you and your partner agree, okay, great, I have the freedom to date and you have the freedom to date, that doesn't mean it's always going to play out equally. You know, there's going to be a week where your partner has like three first dates and you haven't had a match on a dating app in over a month. Like that's going to happen. There's going to be a week where all of your plans get canceled and you're stuck home alone while your partner's off like having a vacation with somebody else and that feels crummy. And so I I think there has to be a more deeply rooted sense of fairness, of justice, of both partners working together to maintain that sense of fairness for each other that helps get you through the periods where it's not quite as fair. That's in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and as you were talking about that, I keep coming back to this sense of we use this kind of transactional model for talking about things a lot. Like, again, to go back to that example of, oh, well, if I let my partner see other people, then I get to in return. We often have used that argument kind of on the other side of someone who's like, well, I'd like to see other people, but I don't want my partner to. It's kind of this like, well, how's that fair? You know, what? come Mm. on now. Mm. And I think that while that can be Useful to talk about. And I think looking at what's fair, how is this balanced, can be very useful. And it's almost hard to have those sorts of conversations without going there a little bit. But where I think that we really start to struggle is that we're coming from a society, so much of what we do is transactional, right? Like where we live is transactional, what we eat is transactional, what we wear on our bodies is transactional. Like we do transactions to get all of these things. And that all of those end up with these like negotiated dollar amounts, either that someone just sets and then it's determined if that's accurate or not by whether people pay it. Or when you think about business dealings where you're actually negotiating and being like, well, how about I'll pay you this much instead or this much that it causes two problems. I think one is it makes us think that we can evaluate. The worth of one side of a transaction with this linear dollar amount, right? Of that it all comes down to just this number and higher is more and less is less. And I think the other issue is that it gets us into that mindset of, if I gave even a little bit more than what was necessary for me to get this thing, that I've fucked up. You know, it's like, oh, everyone's going to Laugh at me for being such a, a an idiot and buying this expensive tourist thing when I could have bought the same thing a block away at this other shop, or you know whatever is right that's so ingrained in us, and I think when we carry that thinking over into our relationships, even in places where it does kind of make sense to look at things as a transaction that that's where we get lost. That's where we end up in those situations of like, well, I make money, which has already a number assigned to it and now you're going to do things and now we're negotiating Mm. of like what's the rate how much is equal and that's where i think we get into not very caring behaviors and ultimately less fair behaviors because it's not just a dollar amount there's a lot of other factors you know like we've talked about on episodes about household labor but like how fulfilling are the things that you're doing even if those things also make money or if they don't and you know what led to the Place you are now, how much of that was your choice? How much of that was partly enabled by a sacrifice your partner made? You know, there's just like layers and layers and layers of all these dynamics. And when we try to boil them down to these more concrete numbers, I personally don't think there's any way we can make that work. And I think that's where we get ourselves in trouble and treat our partners shitty.
2: Yeah. I just want to point out quickly that we came across this a number of times when we were reading articles regarding transactional relationships that they're not like stable long term because if an individual doesn't hold up their end of the deal then the relationship is terminated in a way and that can be the case sometimes but not always and this like termination or this idea of transactional relationships is often referred to as a negative thing but it might be interesting to view some relationships as those with high levels of maybe boundaries or expectations, and lower levels of emotional entanglement. And we did talk about this a little bit in a sort of different context when we spoke about different types of polyamory in episode 322. And like, even sometimes like comet relationships, or I've had relationships, especially in college, where like, I would come home for the summer and see a guy and sleep mm-hmm. with him all summer and then go back to school and you know it was not highly entangled or romantic but we had fun and I got companionship for the summer, and he got sex, and it was fun.
0: And that was like... I, I hope it. that he got companionship as well. This but.
2: is the same frick. This is the <laughs> yeah. same... Yes, okay, yes. But this is the same <laughs> guy who, like, said, like, don't kiss me anymore. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, right. So, know, you know, funny. maybe that was negative, but it, but it was fun also at the time. And that was very much like, you know, an understanding of what was occurring there. And it didn't feel emotionally like wrecking at the end of the whole thing so basically again like i said before if you have consenting adults in situations like this and it's okay for the two of you then it doesn't need to be necessarily a bad or negative thing
1: and now we're going to talk about some actionable tools for all of y'all out there at home to make your relationship feel less transactional so let's say you've been listening to this and you've started hearing some of it and it resonates with you and it's like, ooh, yeah, I do tend to think this way or, or my partner and I talk this way a lot and maybe that's not serving us. Maybe this isn't a relationship that we want to just be a transactional short-lived one, but we want it to be something else. So we wanted to talk about some actionable tools to do that.
0: So we've pulled another quote from that Medium article that we quoted earlier from Payam Banazada quote, enter any relationship with only one expectation, to be present, to give when you can, and to receive with appreciation if you are given. And that quote, it feels very in line with the relationship anarchy manifesto, which strikes this balance between it's not like telling you have zero expectations of your partners, but it is encouraging you toward a certain amount of acceptance to forging the relationship that you do want and not placing any kind of arbitrary expectations on it that don't come from you or your partner. And I think this also connects to a part of the ethical slut that still resonates with me to this day. And it's this little breakout chapter. It's very short and it's it's called a clean love, I think. And it is this idea of basically we need to be able to find ways to accept and love the person who is standing right in front of us as they are. And, if you can't do that, like if you can't accept and love this person as they are right now today, that's okay. You don't have to be in relationship with them, but you're probably going to be better served you know, if you can make it there. And it doesn't mean that you're never annoyed by them or you never need anything from them or you never make requests of them, but there is a certain amount of acceptance there of being present with what is there instead of being focused on exactly what you want to get from this person or what kind of exchange you're expecting or what kind of transaction you're expecting in the relationship. Hmm.
2: I love that. That's really nice.
0: Something else that's important is you can look at your own relationships and you know, acknowledge the ways in which the culture that we grew up in this very capitalist patriarchal culture That focuses on white supremacy and heterosexism and all these things that have impacted the ways that we structure relationships and impacted our expectations from relationships have really instilled a sense of transactionalism sometimes in places where it's not appropriate. Of course, ideally, we can work on intentionally moving away from that influence or being honest when we notice these things influencing our relationships. Because, again, the ways in which these particular systems teach us to commodify everything and objectify individuals very well could be something that's contributing to unhealthy transactional relationships. I hope this guy who (laughs) gave me crap about Disneyland tickets listens to this episode. He's not. But just in case you're out there listening. Just send it to him. I hope that it's just like we said a couple episodes ago. (laughs) Just send it to him without comment. To the people right. in, from our past who have hurt us yeah, in yeah, weird ways.
1: Exactly. I love that. <laughs> Sorry, this keeps making me think of a of a quote that I always really liked from Battlestar Galactica, and it's one where Commander Adama is giving a book to President Laura Roslin, and she says something to the effect of like, "Oh, I'll, I'll be sure to get this right back to you after I finish reading it," or or says something about needing to return this book. And he's like, oh, I have a policy of never lending books. And it's kind of this idea of like, if I'm giving you this thing, I'm not expecting to get it back. Like, I'm just... That's right. That's that's not the point of it. You know, the, the point is that this should be passed on. It's something I'm giving to you, not just because I expect you to give it back. That, that keeps coming to my mind through this episode. I don't know that it's exactly relevant, but I just always really liked that.
2: No, I love that. I think that's kind of what got me interested in this in the first place is that idea of, like, literally just giving something to another person without expecting anything in return. Like, having that lack of expectation is huge. I Just something I wanted to point out, our researcher for this episode offered that mutual aid and community care can be options for framework to use in looking at building transformational or relational relationships and shifting away from these transactional relationships. And if you don't know what mutual aid is, it's a form of solidarity-based support in which communities unite against a common struggle rather than leaving individuals to fend from themselves. That's a definition from thecut.com. So it's kind of this cool, like, different approach In terms of people supporting one another, rather than just like everybody fucking having to do their own thing, like so many of us, right? Like I'll only
1: support you if society tend to have to do,
2: and also, exactly, yeah, yeah in uh, community care, also from CollinsDictionary.com, it's essentially help available to persons living in their own homes rather than services provided in residential institutions or this policy of transferring responsibility for people in need from large, often isolated state institutions to their relatives and local welfare agencies. So I love that as well. Again, like this idea not of the other but more of like a community, which is a really, I think, transformational and beautiful way of approaching our society in general and something that I I so often like wish we tended to do more. And I feel like other cultures have that down in, in a far greater way than our Western society does. So just something to throw out there and think about for all of you.
1: Yeah. So if you feel like you have a relationship that is more transactional and that's something that you want to change... Then that's great. I think the best place to start is just identifying it and starting to think about these things and maybe look into some other models of how you might approach giving in your relationships and, you know, not being taken advantage of or feel like you're, you're giving and that you're with people who don't care for you. Maybe it's about being with people who care for you rather than focusing on the transactions. But if you're in a relationship that has some transactional elements, and that is something that you feel okay with. And it's something that you and your partner are both okay with. Then, then that's also great too. As we've talked about, that's kind of just in the language of how we talk about these things. And that's not always bad. So just, just kind of be aware of that and try to evaluate what makes sense for you and what's going to be best for you and the health of your relationships.
2: So, we're going to move on to our bonus episode for patrons. And in that, we're going to talk more about money, men in the transactional relationship. We spent a lot of time like talking sort of about the more emotional labor side of things. And I did want to delve a little bit more into like this idea of money and how a lot of men feel like if they don't have it, then they're not worthy of getting partners, stuff like that. There was a great Atlantic article on that. And so, we're going to discuss that more in the bonus episode. So our question for this week, which will be on our social media accounts, our Instagram and our Facebook accounts is, what do you think when you hear the words transactional relationship? We'd love to hear that because I had a very specific thing in mind and I'm really interested to hear what all y'all think out there. All right. So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash Multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by the lovely Mauricio (laughs) Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. The researcher for this episode is M. Mays. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on Multiamory.com.
1: Sick of being upsold at gyms? My God